0: Lord, that's not always a hymn that we feel that we can sing. Um, we don't always feel that our feelings can match up with the words we're saying. But Lord, we do know that the truth of your word uh, lets us know that we can we can sing that song, honestly, that even if we don't feel like it, if we're in Christ, we do know that it is well with our soul. Uh, even if the world is falling apart around us, Lord, no matter what trials we're facing. And even if our feelings don't match up with it, Lord, we can still know on the authority of your word that it is well with our soul because of what our Lord Jesus has done. That he has gone through the waters of suffering. He has gone through um, the darkness of death and he has come out on the other side. And we know that if our faith is in him, that he will bring us safely through those waters ourselves. And so we can say that it is well with our soul and Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that uh, your spirit would help us in understanding the scriptures that we read. May he enable me to explain those scriptures faithfully and may, he, may your Holy Spirit grant discernment to your people that if I happen to not explain them faithfully, that they would pick up on that and recognize that and dis- disregard what I say and choose your word Lord instead. So please bless our time together. May you be glorified. May we be built up in our faith. May we understand what you are calling us to do as a church and as believers within your church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're finishing up our series on church membership. It's the last message in that short series today before we get back to walking through 1 Corinthians. And I want to begin um, by talking about a, a fear that probably all of us share to some degree or another and that's the fear of commitment. The fear of commitment is a common thing. We don't like to be tied down. We prefer to keep our options open. We don't like to be responsible for others and we don't like to be responsible to others. We like only being accountable to ourselves. We like only having to look out for ourselves. It's just easier that way. And it's this attitude which has, in part, been responsible for the implosion of the institution called marriage in this country. People are simply, by and large, too selfish to get married these days. They don't want to have their freedom restricted They don't want to be stuck with the same person for the rest of their life. What if they don't end up liking that person? Better not to get married than to risk such a thing. And unfortunately, many believers have adopted that same mentality when it comes to the local church. The idea of becoming a member and committing to the local church seems scary. What if I get sick of the music? What if I get sick of the preaching? That's probably already happened to you. What if someone offends me? What if I get sick of the people? What if I want to try something different? Well, those are self-focused questions that we ask ourselves and we end up never committing. We don't typically seem to ask the other questions, the others-focused questions such as these. What is Jesus' plan for the church? Not my plan. What is Jesus' plan? plan for his church. And what does his word say about how I am to contribute to his plan? Where can I best serve Christ's people? Not how, how can people best serve me. How can I best serve Christ's people? How can I become accountable to Christ and to his people? Two weeks ago, we looked at where the church is. We discussed both the universal church And the local church, the universal church encompassing all believers from the day of Pentecost on through to the day of judgment. Believers who are in heaven now, who have gone on before us, and those who are still here on earth. And the local church encompassing a group of believers in a local congregation, such as this one. So we looked at where the church is. We also looked at the nature of church membership. We looked at becoming a member or a body part of the universal church. We talked about how that happened the moment you were saved. The moment you came to Christ, Christ wrapped you in his church, his universal church. You became a body part of Christ. And we talked about becoming a member or a body part of the local church, which is something that ought to happen following our being water baptized when we have publicly identified ourselves to others as being joined to the Lord Jesus. This week, we're going to dig into church membership quite a bit more. And specifically, we're going to seek to answer the sometimes controversial question of why formal membership? Why formal membership? Maybe you were convinced a couple weeks ago that the local church is essential to the life of a believer. And maybe you have seen in 1 Corinthians 12 and through the other scriptures we went to a couple weeks ago that the idea of being a member or a body part in the local church is clearly taught in scripture. Maybe you're in agreement with all of that. But you are still struggling to understand whether or not being a member in a local church ought to be this formal thing that we do. Formality usually involves commitment, and that is something we tend to shrink back from. Why can't I just show up to a local church for a few months and have everyone automatically consider me a member without having to go through this rigmarole of having a membership class, having a membership interview, signing a church covenant, standing before a congregation and saying, Hey, I'm a member now? I was baptized. Why can't that be enough? Aren't you adding to Scripture when you ask me to do these other things? So that's what we're seeking to answer. Why formal membership? Well, allow me to build up to answering those questions. I want to lay just a little bit more groundwork before answering those legitimate questions. Those are good questions. But let me go back to the topic that we talked about two weeks ago the topic of the importance of the local church, the topic of the necessity of being a member, a body part of the local body of Christ. So let's set aside the question of formal membership for just a moment and let me lay a little bit more of the foundational idea of church membership in general. So let's let's continue to look at that a little bit. Church membership in general. First. Becoming a Christian necessarily results in becoming a member of the church. The one results in the other. You don't go to church to get saved, but when you do get saved, you become a member of the church. We saw this in the universal church. What automatically happens when you repent and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You're made a member of what? The universal church. That happened automatically whether you knew it or not. There is no one who is saved who is not also spiritually united to the universal church. And that spiritual reality is supposed to show up in our day-to-day living. We see this repeatedly in the book of Acts. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. In the book of Acts, we see people believing and we know that at that moment they were added to the universal church but then we see them being added to what? The local church. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. This is following Peter's famous sermon. Acts 2, verse 41. So then those who had received his word, so they believed, they were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. Those 3,000 people who received the word, they believed, they were baptized, they were added to what? To that original group of 120 disciples who were there in Jerusalem. Next, flip over to chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men, so it was 3,000, the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So you have 2,000 more added. Added to what? The local church in Jerusalem there. That's the only church there was at that time, but still, it was in a local geographical area. Chapter 5 and verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly what? Added to their number. And then lastly, let's look at chapter 16. And verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. How does that happen? It happens when a person believes and gets added to their number. That's how they were increasing in number. Believers believed, and they were added to the local churches. And this process of being added to the church upon believing, that is something that is assumed throughout the rest of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, in most of his letters, who is he writing to? He's writing to churches, local churches, the church at Corinth, the church of Thessalonica, the church Uh, the church is in the region of Galatia and so on. Paul is never writing to a believer who is cut off from the local church. All of his instructions that he's writing in all of his letters are within the context of the local church. Even when he's writing to an individual such as Philemon or Timothy or Titus, it is clear that they are vitally connected and even leaders of the local church. And this assumption of believers being connected to the local church is seen in the rest of the writers of of the New Testament as well. There's no such thing as being a living body part of Christ that is not attached to the body of Christ, either universal or local. Second, not being a part of the local church suggests that one does not belong to Christ. Not being a part of a local church suggests that one does not belong to Christ. Now, I am not at all saying that if you don't attend a local church right now, that that in and of itself means you're not a believer. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that to persist in not gathering with other believers, it sends a certain message to others. Let me explain what I mean from a church discipline perspective. Church discipline. If I'm being church disciplined and I proceed through every stage without repenting, what eventually happens to me? I am excluded from the local church. That's what happens. I am to be treated as an unbeliever. I am to be treated as someone who needs the gospel. I still need the gospel. That is what is said about me. If I refuse to repent when I'm being disciplined... Well, what if you willingly exclude yourself? If you willingly exclude yourself from the local church, does that not send the same message? Do you not send the same message to the world and to the church that you're an unbeliever? No matter what you may profess to the contrary, you may actually be a believer. Hear me carefully. You, You may actually be a believer, but you are living in such a way that others can no longer just safely assume that about you. We looked at what the word church means. Church is the name that's given to Christ redeemed people. And church means what? Assembly or congregation. So if, if I am cut off from the life of the church and I am not assembling with the assembly of Christ's redeemed people, then I'm signaling that I am not a part of that assembly of Christ's redeemed people. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, and verse 19. John writes, They, speaking of false teachers, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us that's the message that is sent if we are cutting ourselves off from the local church third one cannot be held accountable if one is not a member of the local church if you're not a member of the local church you cannot be subject to church discipline the church cannot exclude you from the church if you are not in the church Refusing to be a member of the church means that the church has no way of lovingly pursuing you and restoring you back into close communion with the Lord and with his people. And fourth, one cannot be protected and shepherded if one is not a member of the local church. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. The preacher there writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Part of being a member of the local church is submitting yourself to the spiritual oversight of elders. If you're not a member of the local church, then you have no elders who can oversee your walk with the Lord. You have no one who can stand guard over you, no one to protect you from the false teachers that abound in this world. Now you might say, well, I don't need anyone standing guard over me. I do pretty well on my own, thank you very much. But that's a foolish thing to say. God has designed his church to have elders. By doing that, God is communicating to you that you do need elders. Are you going to argue otherwise with God? We all, we all are susceptible to being deceived and falling into sin. All of us. That's why scripture directs the churches to have a plurality of elders. Because not even elders are immune from being deceived. And so even an elder needs other elders to watch over him. That's why I'm thankful for Barney and Owen, who are my elders and pastors as well as being yours, overseeing my walk with the Lord, making sure I don't go off the deep end myself. Every believer needs pastors, especially pastors. Every believer. So those are just four extra reasons why membership in a local church is so essential the life of a believer now let me turn to the question we started out with why formal membership why make me take a class have an interview with the elders sign a church covenant and get up in front of everyone to identify myself as a member well let me begin by saying that this is not the only way that faithful churches set up the membership process it's not the only way different churches are situated in different contexts and they have to prayerfully consider what is the wisest course of action in their context. But this is just the way that we here at New Woodstock Community Church have set it up. And we don't claim it's the only right way. But we do believe it's a wise way. But again, why? Why is that wise? Why do we do that? First of all, the Bible is not opposed to formality formality is not inherently sinful or unbiblical for example the early church they had a practice of identifying believers who were moving to a different church by sending a letter of commendation with them the sending church did not expect the receiving church to just accept that believer simply on the basis of their good looks or their nice demeanor No, they sent a letter with them. For example, let's go to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 and verse 27. This is speaking of Apollos, who was a mighty preacher, a mighty teacher in the Lord. He he got further discipled by Priscilla and Aquila in verse 26. But then verse 27 says this, And when he, Apollos, wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him, and they did what? They wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So they sent a letter ahead of him. Next, let's go to Romans chapter 16. In the first two verses, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Cancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. Why? For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. In other words, Paul's saying you can trust I know this woman. She's a believer. Welcome her into your arms. Next, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and the first four verses. Paul here, he's making plans for the church in Corinth to collect a donation to send to the Jerusalem church who is in need. And he's giving some instructions and laying out some plans about that. Verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. And those letters are likely letters of commendation regarding these individuals who are handling this money. When they come to Jerusalem, these letters will show that these are faithful men handling this money. They didn't pilfer some of it for themselves, and they're authorized to deliver these funds. Lastly, let's go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, we find someone that we're pretty familiar with, Mark. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now all of that seems a little formal, doesn't it? Why did they do that? Because there was a constant danger of false teachers who would try to do what? Creep in unnoticed and gain influence over a local congregation. So it was important for a local church when a new person was coming in to have that person vetted and vouched for before just throwing open the doors to them. They were constantly needing to be on guard against false teaching. So that's first of all. The Bible is not opposed to formality. Secondly, a formal membership process is in keeping with Christ's intent to make clear that there is a difference between the church and the world. There's a difference between the church and the world. We saw that a few weeks ago when we went through Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, where Jesus says to the apostles and by extension to the church that he's given them the keys to the kingdom of heaven that they will bind and loose and whatever decisions they make regarding that is backed up by the decision of heaven insofar as they are faithful to do what Jesus commands them to do. To receive some into the church and to exclude others from the church. We're not to admit just anyone into church membership and we're we're only to admit Fellow believers. That is who we are to admit into the church. And without formal membership, here in America, I'm speaking within our context here, without formal membership, there's really no way for us here in America to be able to distinguish between attending unbelievers and believers who want to be committed members. Let me explain a little bit more about that if all it takes to be a member, to be considered a member here, is simply showing up for a few Sundays, then even unbelievers can meet that requirement, right? That will inevitably create serious problems. Because if we, as a church, if we seek to move in a certain direction, and we want approval from the whole congregation, and we take a vote, if everyone who simply shows up is eligible To participate in that vote, what is to stop maybe a false teacher who knows that vote is coming to get 20 of his friends and have them start attending here for a few weeks and then on that day make sure that the vote goes the way he wants it to go. You can't just leave it open to any and all who just walk through the doors. A formal process gives the elders and the church the opportunity to make sure as far as is possible for fallible humans, that new members are actually believers in the Lord Jesus and not unbelievers or not wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, a church in a place like North Korea, such a church probably does not need much of a formal membership process. Why? Because persecution tends to weed out false teachers and unbelievers pretty quickly. Typically, a false teacher and an unbeliever are not willing to risk death in order to attend a church. So, if you were to show up at a Christian church in North Korea on a Sunday, and you got baptized, and you were willing to associate with these believers, and you were willing to partake of the Lord's Supper with them, they can pretty safely assume that you are for real, because you are literally risking your life to show up and worship the Lord with them. But here in America, where Christianity has for so long been a part of the culture, it costs very little for a false teacher or an unbeliever to come. It costs very little. Now, in our culture, it's getting more and more costly to do that, but compared to a place like North Korea, it still costs very little for someone to do that. The pros outweigh the cons in the mind of a false teacher. It's still worth infiltrating the church. So, if you walk through these doors and attend or attend here for months on end, we cannot simply assume that you are a believer. And honestly, you cannot assume that about us. There's plenty of false churches out there who name the name of Christ, but they do not preach the true gospel. When we interview you, that is us simply checking to see that you know the gospel and you believe the gospel. And not only is it to function as us checking you, it's you to check us, to make sure that we know what the gospel is and that we actually believe the gospel and are teaching the gospel. That's why we do this interview thing. We cannot admit someone into membership who's not a Christian, and you definitely don't want to be a part of a church that is not truly Christian, following Christ. So in a place like America, a pluralistic and a permissive society, formal membership is important. People these days, they change churches like they change shoes, right? Simply showing up is not a good indicator that you are a committed member. But formal membership does communicate that. If I'm willing to sit down with you and have you examine me, to see if I know the gospel and I'm willing to go through a class and I'm willing to stand up here before you and say I'm a member that's pretty good indication that that you're committed now why do we have you take a class why do we have you take a class well what's part of the great commission go into all the world make disciples of all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's why we have a membership class. It's part of fulfilling the Great Commission of teaching you what the Lord has commanded you, particularly with relation to the local church. It's important in becoming a member that that you know what the Bible says about being a member, that you know what your responsibilities are, and you know what the church's responsibilities are to you. Now we also have you sign a church covenant. What's that? Well, a church covenant is an agreement that we have with one another, where each one of us is promising to the other, committing to the other to faithfully serve Christ and one another. Now, are covenants unbiblical? Well, we have David and Jonathan making a covenant together as friends. And and church is a serious thing. I made a covenant with my wife. Being a member of a church is likewise a serious thing. It's appropriate to have this commitment communicated to one another. But why have you sign it? Why have you sign a piece of paper? Isn't that legalistic? Well, if you're married, did you consider it legalistic to sign the marriage license as you were seeking to enter into a covenant with your husband or your wife? I was willing to sign anything. I was committed to my wife. If I, wanted, if I needed to put my name on a piece of paper, I was willing to do that, to commit to her. So no, it's not legalistic. In our culture, we tend to signify our commitment by signing our name on a document. The founding fathers of this nation, they were willing to put their John Hancock at the bottom of the Declaration of Independence. Were they legalistic in doing that? No, we consider them brave and highly committed for doing that. John Hancock wrote his name big and bold right at the bottom of that knowing full well that if the war didn't go his way, he had basically signed his own death warrant. God quite literally signed his name on the stone tablets when he covenanted with his people Israel. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Was God being legalistic? So signing a church covenant, it's simply a way to indicate your commitment to God's people in this church for as long as he has you here. Becoming a member here is not like signing a 10-year contract. It's not like if the Lord calls you somewhere else, we're going to sue you because you're leaving before the 10 years is up. No, you might be a member here only two months. None of us knows what the Lord's going to call us to do tomorrow, let alone 10 years from now. But becoming a member is simply you saying that as long as I'm here, I am willing to be accountable to you and to help hold you accountable. And if the Lord does call me somewhere else, I'm going to let you know about it. And I'm going to seek your approval in it. And I'm going to ask you to commend me to that church that I'm headed toward. That's what signing a church covenant is about. How about the other element in becoming a member here standing you up here and having you affirm your commitment to the congregation and having the congregation do that to you why do we do that well one needs to be publicly known by the congregation in order to be built up by that congregation and to be a, truly accountable to that congregation turn with me back to Romans chapter 16 Romans 16. We looked at the first two verses, but let's pick up in verse 3. This is the end of Paul's letter here to the church in Rome. Verse 3, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles." Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet, uh, greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those who, greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. Also his mother and mine. Greet Asincretus. Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. You get the distinct impression that these believers know each other. When they got this letter and they read it, you get the sense that nobody would have said, Rufus? Who's Rufus? They knew each other. We have to know who is a member of the church if we are to fulfill our duty to them in the church. We have to know who we are accountable to look after before God. Who's God going to call me to account for when I stand before him on that day? Turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 12. You may be thinking, I thought that was only a question he's going to ask you elders. Well, not according to this verse. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 15. The preacher, he's writing to the whole church. Verse 15, he says, see to it. It's the Greek verb episcopeo. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Now stay there in Hebrews, but let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Let me back up to verse 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. That's episcopeo, the same word. Not according to compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. You see, oversight is not only the work of the elders. It's their job description in particular, to be sure, but it is also the duty of all believers to oversee one another, to look out for one another. That's what the preacher said in Hebrews 12, verse 15, see to it, exercise oversight such that no one comes short of the grace of God. We have to know who we are responsible to look out for if we're to be faithful to look out for them. And this is especially true in the case of elders. Let me read Hebrews 13, 17 again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Those who will give an account. Elders have to give an account to God for the souls of those who they oversee in the local church. We tend to just read that and not really consider the implications of it. But say you had five kids, and you entrusted each of those five kids to me when you went out on a date with your wife. And say I took them to their park, where there was a whole parcel of other kids running around. And say I was trying to look out for not only the five kids that you entrusted into my care, but I thought, well, I should probably look out for all the others as well, even though nobody entrusted them into my care. And say when your date was over that I came back to you and I presented four kids to you instead of the five that you had entrusted into my care. Would you be satisfied with that? No, you'd lose your mind over that. You'd seek to run me over with your car if I did something like that. But what if I protested to you, but I kept all those other kids safe, and I got at least four of them back to you. I had, all those other kids are safe too. What would you say to me? You'd say, but those aren't my kids. Those are not the kids I put into your care, and you lost one of them. What happened to that other child that I put into your care? I want you to listen to God's heart for his sheep. And this this passage has kept me up at night. Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> this is God, he's writing to the shepherds of Israel. That is The priests, the prophets, the kings, those that he had given charge or entrusted his children to, to watch over. Ezekiel 34, verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered For lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. That is God's attitude toward those who lose track of His children that He has entrusted to them. That is serious. Now, how can we elders know? Hopefully, I've communicated to you, we've got to know. We have got to know who the Lord has entrusted into our care because there's not an elder alive who takes the Bible seriously who wants to stand before the Lord on that day and have the Lord ask him what happened to so-and-so and I give the answer, I don't know. That will not be acceptable to him. So how can we elders know who it is that the Lord has entrusted into our care? Because the church is not the military. We cannot hold a draft of this community and conscript people and force them to come and be a part of this church. Nor can we force anyone to stay in this church. If you want to go, I can't stop you from going. We're not a cult. I'm not going to send people to gun you down for leaving the church. I can't stop you from leaving the church. The church can exclude someone from being a member there through church discipline, but the church cannot force anyone to stay. I want you to look at three texts with me. Actually, you don't have to turn there, but just listen carefully as I read them. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which, key in on that phrase, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Next, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. Paul is writing to the whole church here, telling them about their elders. He says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction." And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then lastly, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, which I've already read. But there, Peter exhorts the elders. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you. What was the common phrase I pointed out there? The word among. The elders are either... In each of these passages, they're either commanded or they're described as guarding, laboring, and shepherding those who are what? Among them. So elders are only able to shepherd those who are willing to place themselves under their care. We, we cannot be anybody's elders if they're not willing to submit to us as their elders. This church, is, it's a volunteer thing. I can't make you... I can't make anybody do that. And nobody can make me do that either. The only way that an elder can know who the Lord has placed in their care is if a believer comes to that elder and tells them that they want them to shepherd them. We elders, we cannot be responsible for every single person who walks through those doors simply because they've walked through the doors. Such a task would be impossible. People float in and out all the time and we're glad they come and we want you to keep inviting them to come. We're thrilled when we see them walk through those doors. But we cannot truly exercise oversight over those people. We have to have some way of knowing who it is that we're gonna be responsible for before God. And membership is how we know. And formal membership is how we make it crystal clear to everyone, who it is that we're responsible for. We don't want to have to stand before Christ and tell him, I don't know, when he asks about one of his blood-bought children. I don't know. That would not be an acceptable answer to you if you gave me one of your kids to look after, and it won't be an acceptable answer for me or any of the elders to give to Christ, or really any member here. Who has been commanded to look out for others. He won't accept that answer. So if you have been attending here and you have arrived at the conclusion that this is the local church that the Lord wants you to be a part of at this point in time and nobody expects you to know where you're going to be five years from now but if this is where the Lord has you now and you're convinced of that we would invite you to come and talk to us as your elders and say, hey, I want to be a member here. We would love to to talk with you about that and walk through that membership process with you. We would love to make it clear to you and to us and to the whole church that we are responsible for one another now because there's nothing more frightening to a pastor than not knowing who he's accountable for before the Lord. So if you make that known to us and you submit yourself to that membership process, then we will endeavor to keep a watch over your soul. And if you wander off into sin, we pledge ourselves to lovingly pursue you and help you get back to following after the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be thankful that we have another pair of eyes watching us and holding us accountable as well. A pastor is a shepherd. And a shepherd shepherds the sheep. And so if one of the sheep goes missing, Jesus Christ the chief shepherd commands us to look for that sheep. And we fear Christ more than we fear the sheep. And so we will look. That's our pledge to you, and we ask you to hold us accountable to that. If, on the other hand, you decide that this church is not where the Lord would have you be, that's okay. But I encourage you to get busy finding a Christ-centered church gospel-proclaiming, Bible-teaching church where you can fully commit yourself and become a member, a body part of that community. But don't keep looking until you find the just-right, Goldilocks church that fits all your preferences because you're not going to find it. And that's okay because the church is not about you and me. It's about serving Christ, serving his people, and reaching out to the lost. So find a church where you can do that and commit yourself wholeheartedly to that church. Let's pray.